This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli podcast brought to us by Bet Rivers podcast episode number 38. Doing it on Monday, January 2nd, so I should say Happy New Year to everybody. It's a new year. It's 2023. Uh, best wishes for you and your family as we go into this new year, but I got to tell you right now, I am not in a good mood, and I'm not in a good mood because what happened on New Year's Day, and what happened on New Year's Day was that the Eagles laid an egg. All right, now coming up a little later, we're going to talk to Bob Brookover. He covers the Giants, former Philadelphia writer. We'll talk to him uh, about uh, what this playoff situation is now as the Eagles have to go into the Giants. Um, uh, But let's let's talk about what happened yesterday. And uh, again, it's New Year's, and New Year's supposed to get a fresh perspective and ignore and move past what happened yesterday. It's hard to do. You know why? Because yesterday was the disgraceful effort. The Eagles yesterday were a football team not prepared to play. Also, the quarterback looked like a guy who had no idea how to play. Also, this was an offensive coaching staff who apparently had no meaningful game plan and also looked like they had no idea what they wanted to do. Now, this is noteworthy because the Eagles have not shown that profile all year. All year long, they have had an answer. They've been coached their way through this whole season where they would not fall into a trap like they fell into yesterday. So one of my conclusions about yesterday, and it's a cautionary tale, this coaching staff spent so much time trying to espionage the Saints on whether they were going to start Jalen Hurts that they, they shirked coming up with a solid game plan for Gardner Minshew. And they wasted... There and the Eagle fans' time yesterday. How do you lose to the Saints and score only 10 points? Well, we're going to go over it. So now, where are we? Well, unbelievably, they, they are now in a must-win situation next week against the Giants. And Hurts must play whether he's ready or not. That's right. If they don't beat the Giants, they could lose out on the number one seed, which looked to be a lock a first-round bye, rest all their injured players, host every playoff game, and now that could be in jeopardy. So, first of all, let's not overthink this. 
the overthinking part is that the Giants are locked into the number six seed and they don't need to win next Sunday and that they're going to rest their players so the Eagles can actually give Hurts another week of rest. Nah, they can't do it. Not the way Minshew played yesterday. Now, considering that the Giants in that coaching staff would really love to get a revenge win against the Eagles, the Giants will probably play it the smart way. And maybe they play their starters for a quarter and treat it like a preseason game. But you absolutely cannot take the chance and play Minshew and try to bleed another week of rest for Jalen Hurts and make him go into the playoffs. So let's get back to yesterday's disgraceful offensive effort. I ask everybody this question because you're probably asking yourself the same question. What was the offensive game plan yesterday? What was the offensive game plan at the start? In a, in a game, a home game, by the way, with uh, so much at stake, the Eagles allow, first of all, the Saints to march 15 plays and eat up nine minutes a clock to take a 7 nothing lead. So I'll go defense first, and then we'll get to the offense. They ran the ball with Kamara and Taysom Hill, and they made short throws to convert manageable first down. Simple stuff. Simple stuff that you would think the Saints would have to do. And yet the Eagles didn't press coverage. So in these third down and manageable situations, here they come, third and three, bang, they convert. Third and four, boom, they convert. Third and one, bang, they convert. All of a sudden, I look up, they're at the Eagle 19. I'm good. This team gets to the Eagle 19, first drive of the game at home. All this at stake, all the emotion that should be poured into this game where you was going to smash this team and get that number one seat. Now Josh Sweat hurts his neck. Now the Eagles stop Taysom Hill on a third and three. But the Saints go for it and rub it right down their throat. Bang! Touchdown, first quarter. They converted in the first quarter. The Saints converted five third downs and one fourth down. And so now here come the Eagles. First down, first drive of the game. Now I'm looking at the Saints and they go, okay, they, they're 23rd against the run. So what do they do? They overthink it. They go, play action. Let's see if we can bust the play. Saints are going to expect this to run. Too cute. Bash the shit out of them. Run the football. First two plays out of the gate are passes. Play action, the guy gets sacked. Second, he gets chased out of the pocket and has to run out of bounds. Um, the Eagles go four straight, three and outs. Now, I, I, I'm i thinking of, of my man, Micah Parsons, saying that the, oh, the Eagles are a system team. And I'm going, really? They're a system team? Without Hurts, they go four straight, three and outs. They don't get a first down, mind you, until there are 19 seconds left in the first half. Seriously, this team, this team with a prolific offense doesn't get a first down until 19 seconds are left in the first half. That reminds me of Scarface when Tony Montana says, was you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, that was the reaction. I said, well, one first down at 19 seconds in the first half. They are down 13 to nothing at halftime. And, and the Saints, in fact, let them off the hook twice. First of all, they got to the two-yard line, and they settled for a field goal. They actually kick a field goal fourth and two. They got the Eagles flat down. That's a team that once now is now playing not to lose instead of to win. 
They kick a field goal. Whoop-de-doo. They get three points. When you can bury this team and go up 17 to nothing, they settle for three. I'm going, they're, they're playing not to, not to lose, right? So the Eagles will win this game. Second of all, Andy Dalton gets outside of his mind and tries to throw the ball down the field and gives the Eagles an interception by Josiah Scott on a drive where they could have scored another touchdown. So they got two breaks in the first half, and they're down 13-0. Second half, what did we see? Well, finally, somebody had a talk with the offensive coordinator. Let's get back to what we do. Let's run the football. Let's up the tempo a little bit. So they finally make adjustments. They start running the ball. They increase the tempo. They only get three points out of it. Why? Okay. We could look back. It was a horrendous holding call on Landon, Landon Dickerson. It should have been a touchdown on the run to Boston Scott. They get a call back. But even after that, this team that has taken advantage of every opportunity, okay, that's that, that shouldn't prevent them from scoring a touchdown against the Saints. It did. They get three points here. Uh, now, the play that should have turned this game around obviously, is a 76-yard touchdown to A.J. Brown. Because we know the Saints are going to Saint. And so on that play, the cornerback, whose name is, uh, what's his name? Pank, Pank, Paulson Adebo, makes a horrendous play on it, uh, gets kind of pushed out of the way by A.J. Brown, who then pivots and gets the touchdown. Now I'm going, okay, there's the Saints. All right, this is going to propel the Eagles. Also, the offense is going to come alive, blah, blah, blah. That's the last time the Eagles would score. All right? They get to 10, and the fourth quarter, they got momentum back on a Brandon Graham sack on a third down. They start moving the ball. If you recall, they go 14 yards to Goddard, 23-yard pass to Scott. It leads to nothing. They get a fourth and one quarterback sneak they've converted 26 times in a row to quarterback sneak Minshew can't convert why well because he got bullied he got bullied and not only his not even his people behind him could push him for a first down because he went into it gingerly you saw the play Hurts digs in there gets the first down that's why he convert that Minshew couldn't convert that first down I, I assume he doesn't like the quarterback sneak because he certainly didn't look like he he wanted to convert that they don't convert on a fourth and one quarterback sneak. And then later in the game, there's the amateurish, amateur, amateurish pick six where he he locks eyes on A.J. Brown and, and a ridiculous interception to, to Lattimore for a touchdown. Now, I, I don't want to be overly hard on A.J. Brown, but since we're overly hard on Quez, Quez Watkins for night fighting to the ball, not going to the ball, maybe the same thing applied. Nobody said that yesterday about A.J. Brown because he's A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's a beast. Come to the ball, maybe Lattimore doesn't get slip inside you and get that. But that's another matter. That's on Minshew because he stinks. See, what what we found out about uh, Gardner Minshew is, is that he's not a great quarterback. So to, let's, let's go to two conclusions here. I see. Um, I'm getting tired of Nick Sirianni and the bullshit of coach speak. And so yesterday – when he should have been pressed on what in the hell were you doing offensive game plan yesterday? He's allowed to say his mumbo jumbo of, well, we have to look, you know, we have to do better and all this crap. What was the game plan yesterday, Nick? Why did you not carve out a run centric game plan 
against this team? What was your offensive coordinator, coordinator doing? Why couldn't you adjust at halftime? Why would you sit in a soft zone in the Saints' first drive? I would like some answers because the fan base deserves some answers. And and this guy is a nice guy. I get it, but he has been allowed to get away lately with stock answers. He's not Andy Reid, okay? Why would you decide to have a game plan like that? Why would you uh was there a, was there any was it any factor that you tried to okie doke the world with Hurts and and publicize the fact that he's throwing the ball? Really? Seriously, you're like you're not strong enough that you have to worry more about that than formulating a game plan for Gardner Mitchell that was going to work. I want answers. The fan base needs answers. And here's another thing for the fan base. This is to the fan base. Stop with the Minshew mania, please. Stop with the mustache and a Top Gun jacket and the living in a freaking bus and all this charm about Gardner Minshew. Because I'm convinced more than ever. Yesterday, that the Eagles are a product only of Jalen Hurts. Uh, and unless he's doing Hurts-type things, maybe they can't win. So take this Minshew mania and stick it up your keister. All right? All right. Let's get to the playoff picture. The Eagles are still the number one seed. If they lose to the Giants next week, which I doubt they'll do because the Giants can't possibly play a game to the hilt enough to want to win that game and put their players at risk. So Jalen Hurts, probably at 80%, is going to be good enough to win that game. They'll probably stay with the number one seed. But if they lose the game, they could lose the number one seed. And after all this, if you lose the number one seed, it would be a disaster. Okay? Flat-out disaster. Because you lose the bye, you'll host a playoff game, I get it. But then you'll have to go on the road eventually. All right. So the playoff picture right now, Eagles number one seed, control their own destiny. Win, they're in. If they win, we're not going to fret about what happened last week. Although they show a little bit of a crack right now. And you worry about whether they can carry this through now to win the NFC, especially the way the 49ers are playing. All right. Seven seed, the Lions have creeped into the picture now as the seventh seed after they win yesterday. So it's the seventh seed Lions at the number two Vikings, and the Vikings are melting down right now. So uh, Giants at sixth seed, it's locked in for them. All right? So they're locked. They, they can't go up or down. So if, if Brian Dable plays the starters, it's probably foolish. Sixth seed Giants at the three seed Niners. I'm sorry, G-Men fans. You ain't going to San Francisco winning that game. Five-seed Cowboys, they're locked into that at the four-seed Bucks, who have shown uh, uh, a resurgence. Now, um, at this point, who who knows who the Eagles will host if they hold on to the number one seed? We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. The chalk in the past would have been the Cowboys as their first opponent if they get the bye. But now, all of a sudden, the Lions are, uh, are are strong, and the Vikings are leaking. And I would not be surprised if the Lions, they hold on to that playoff spot. They go in and upset Minnesota, which means the Lions would be coming here. I think that's a little bit of a break for the Eagles. All right, let's go to the AFC. The Chiefs, this is interesting. Right now, they're the number one seed, but the Bills play tonight. 
This is Monday night. If you're listening to the podcast later in the week, we'll know what the result is. Uh, if the, the uh, Bills beat the Bengals tonight, uh, which is uh, still in a precarious uh, situation, uh, the Bills will get the number one seed. The Chiefs will be the number two seed. So uh, the seventh seed right now, the Patriots, who got a big win yesterday, get themselves into the playoffs. Again, this all could change by the last week. So right now it's the Patriots at either the Bills or the Chiefs. Patriots aren't beating either of those teams. The sixth seed are the Chargers playing well. At the three seed right now, the Bengals. But again, that could change. Bengals win tonight could change it up. Five seed, the Ravens at the four seed. The resurgent Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win that division and get the fourth seed. So if you're looking at the chalk, Bills or Chiefs win that game. Bengals probably beat the Chargers. The Ravens and Jags? I... I think the Jags could actually win that game. So the playoffs are still kind of wide open. But the thing that we have to realize is that the Eagles are probably going to get the number one seed. They're either going to play the Cowboys or the Lions. If you're going to boil it down right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on from the angst of discussing what happened yesterday with the Eagles and talk to our next guest in the uh very nice to talk to our, our next guest because he's got a, a, a world of experience in both these areas. Uh, Bob Brookover, a former longtime journalist in Philadelphia, especially with the Inquirer, where he covered the Eagles and the Phillies, and now covering the dreaded New York Giants for NJ.com. Hello, Bob. How you doing? Hey, Mike. What's going on? Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. And, uh, this is going to be really interesting because your perspective, I'm, I'm curious to know what your perspective is here. If they're, if they're covering the Eagles for so many years, now covering the Giants, you find yourself in a situation where the last game means a hell of a lot. And certainly I don't think anybody thought this game would matter, but it does. And the, and the circumstances are the Eagles desperately need to win the game. The Giants don't. So how will they play this game? Let's get to that first, and then we'll look back at what this Eagles situation is. Yeah, I you know I don't think we're going to hear from Brian Dable this week. Just having covered him for the whole year, what he's going to do? I, he's not the type who who shows his cards uh, at all. Uh, so we're probably going to not know this answer until game day. Um, just after last night's game, uh, I had to come back and write for this morning. I, I figured the best way to even give an educated guess to this is to look at what his mentors, head coaching mentors did. And his head coaching mentors are, you know, main ones who had playoff runs were Bill Belichick and Sean McDermott. Um, McDermott in years where his team had nothing or little to play for uh, has pretty much played his starters for a series or two and then sat him out. Belichick is all over the place. He obviously in 2007 famously going for an undefeated record against the Giants um, kept all his starters and went unbeaten. And the Giants, Tom Coughlin, who also had nothing to play for that day, played all his starters in, in, in an epic week 17 great game between those two teams that the, that the Patriots won. Uh, but the Giants gained so much confidence by taking the to the to the end that they beat him five weeks later in the Super Bowl. Um, would there be benefit for Brian Dable to play his starters against the Eagles, ruin their season, and just build the confidence some more of his team? Perhaps. Uh, but will he do that? I don't know. 
All right, so this is the thing. This is interesting. First of all, uh, nobody shows their hands anymore. Right? It's it's freaking annoying with this. These new vote coaches come in, and, and they're all they're all close to the vest. They don't they don't show any hands anymore. It's annoying for people who have covered the sports for a really long time. Do you find that annoying with these people? Oh, of course, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I do, but like, let's let's be real. Andy Reid never never showed his cards. I mean, that was. You know, and that's we're going back twenty years. You know, he he would not tell us what he was going to do. Um, you know, he, he he's an example of he would he would sit his guys. You know, and he it wouldn't. I think what the, the year they went to the Super Bowl under Andy, he sat him pretty much for three weeks because he had a bye. He, they played the Rams, and I forget who they played the last game of the season. Um, but he sat him for two weeks and then had a bye. So he, they, they went into the playoffs three weeks. They made it to the Super Bowl, and I don't think they were rusty in the Super Bowl. They just they turned the ball over too much. But anyway, you know, so there's so many ways, different ways to do this. Uh, and there's I don't think there is an exact right answer. But getting back to your question, yeah, of course it's annoying. annoying. We want to know the answer now. Yeah, we did. So here's the thing. I work with Seth Joyner uh, on the postgame show. And uh, – Seth's position here is that these guys are old school. Like he has great reverence for guys like Wink Martindale and and even Dable, who's been around. And he thinks that the Giants, in, in losing to the Eagles the first time, would love to make a statement and therefore will play to win this game. Now, I I kind of agree that maybe they won't, and if they'll do anything, they'll play their starters for for a while, like it's a preseason game uh, or, or or something. But does that have any merit? These old school guys that want to make a statement going into the playoffs and beat the Eagles? I I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm I'm fascinated to see. I mean, there is the um, little aside here of two years ago. It was a different regime. It was the Joe Judge regime who was just absolutely angry, which for for no good reason because his team had gone six and ten. Uh, but you know, they, he was furious. The Giants fans are furious when the Eagles sat Jalen Hurts in the fourth quarter. Um, and, you know, pretty much gave that game to, to Washington, to the football team at the time, uh, and, you know, didn't allow the Giants to get in the playoffs. Um, I, again, they were 6-10. and 10. They shouldn't be too upset about not making the playoffs. Nate the Great, of course. That was the Nate the Great game uh, that he comes in. Uh, all right, so uh, let's, let's presume. I don't know what to presume anymore, but let, let, let's take it like all these scenarios because – if the Giants don't play this game to the hilt, and I don't believe they will, do the Eagles dare risk sitting out Jalen Hurts one more week to make sure he's healthy for the playoffs and trust that Minshew will beat a depleted Giants team? Um, if I'm the Eagles and I think Jalen Hurts is 90%, you know, and it, it sounds like he is 90% um, just from, you know, reading the tea leaves of what of what Nick Sirianni has said. I want Jalen Hurts to play. I Like, I, I, I hate guys going in, you know, having not played for, for weeks because I do think, you, you know, there's some rust to knock off in those games. So I think in some ways this could play to the Eagles' advantage that they have to play this game um, and – you know, they have to, they have, because they're not playing real sharp football right now. Uh, obviously, um, the defense was horrible in Dallas. Um, they didn't play a great game in Chicago. So, and and then obviously yesterday I didn't see any of it, but 20 to 10 loss to, 
it sure reading about it sure sounded like a stinker. So now we're going on three weeks of the, the last good football game they played was against the Giants up at MetLife. Uh, so I think it, you know, having to play a game and getting their act together is not the worst thing in the world for the Eagles. Um, it, it, all right, so let, let's let's look at uh, what what the Eagles are right now. Uh, and I know you covered the Giants, so you kind of, but you know, you're familiar with this this whole situation. Um, I learned yesterday the, the Eagles are absolutely a product of Jalen Hurts. I never thought I would say that coming into this season. But, you know, when guys like Micah Parsons say he's a system quarterback and Chris Sims says that anybody could do what he's doing, uh, yesterday was a, was a, a clear sign that their engine goes with him. Uh, so what what are the Eagles overall? There's been a lot of, uh, like, national observation that they're not that good, that they're, they're this, they're that. The power rankings have slighted them all year. What are they in your eyes? Well, I mean, the, the the one game I really got to sit and watch them was the game at MetLife, and that day they were great. I mean, now the Giants helped them a lot with some early turnovers, uh, mistakes. Um, you know, the Giants might have played their worst game that day. Um, but they looked great that day, and they've looked great at other times. Um, but you look at this NFC overall um, – the Packers are about to get into the playoffs. A very hot Packers team. Who wants to play them? Um, the Giants are, are going to be the sixth seed. Um, and I, I don't think they're capable of getting to the Super Bowl, but they if they go to Minnesota, they're capable of beating them. They, they almost beat them two weeks ago. Uh, they had them on the ropes. They're capable of beating them. Uh, are the 49ers capable of winning? Yes. Are the Cowboys capable of winning? Yes. You know, the, the only teams I'd say maybe that aren't capable of winning are the Bucs, I don't think they're good enough. You know, winning, I don't think they can win a playoff game. The Bucs, and I, I'm not sold on the Vikings being a, a deep-run team. But my point is, this NFC is wide open, and the Eagles certainly are are good enough to win the NFC, but they're also – they better not have an off day because they're good – they're bad they, – they can be uh, not good enough to win on a given day. For All right, sure. so you don't – do you believe they're the best team in the, in the NFC? I do think they have the most talent when they're healthy. I do. Um, you know, uh, to me, uh, if I was ranking talent-wise, I would put them one with Jalen Hurt when Jalen Hurts is playing, and the 49ers too. I might put the 49ers ahead of them. Brock Bur- Purdy is actually has obviously played very well, uh, but I would take Hurts over Purdy. Those two are close to me, and then I put the Cowboys at three. Also, you know, on a given day, capable of beating the Eagles or the or the 49ers. We're talking to Bob Brookover. He uh, writes now, covers the Giants for NJ.com, but they're a long career uh, working with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, uh, so, Bob, let, let's talk about y- you a little bit. And, uh, well, first of all, in, in covering the Giants, what is the difference between covering the Giants and covering the Eagles and your access to Dable and what kind of coach he is and all that stuff? I think people would like to know what the difference is in covering a different pro team after all these years. It's It's been fascinating. The, the, the day the Eagles played the Giants was really a weird thing for me. It was the first time I ever covered a, a sporting event, Philadelphia sporting event, with eyes on the other side. And you know how, being a reporter, you know how you watch a game. You watch a game through the eyes of the team you're covering, uh, you know, which, you know, which makes you say, oh, that was an awful play. But the awful play that you always saw – 
becomes a great play by the other side. <laughs> so uh, it was it was fascinating to watch it in that way. Covering the, I mean, there, there are many similarities because the Giants are a big deal in New York. Um, I would say after the Yankees, they're the biggest team in New York uh, in terms of interest. Um, and so there's a lot of people covering the team every day. Um, not as many as I thought, to be honest. You know, there's a there, there's a group of beat writers and you, you know a few columns to come out, but it's not. I would say the Eagles on a given day, and maybe because it's because you know the New York always also has the Jets, so there's there's resources going to that team too. I would say the Eagles have a bigger media following than the Giants, just because the Eagles are the obvious number one. They are the Yankees in Philadelphia, um, but it, it's been. It's been interesting, and it's it's a it's a grind out job uh, with a lot of tough competition uh, from my standpoint in terms of trying to to get things and people do things in different ways. You know, there the the business has changed so much where there's a lot of younger guys who look at the way they cover the team differently. They are very into the um, the X's and O's of everything, and the you know the the, the business side of it. And, you know, I, I come from an era where we tell stories more. So you have to get sharper in the other areas and make sure you you have that. I have a good teammate, a guy named Daryl Slater, is my teammate with the Giants and covering the team. So I think we've made a great team together. But it, it, it's been fun. It's been interesting. I hadn't covered a beat, in, like been the, the main beat writer in, oh, God, going back to the, the, when I left the Eagles in 2010. So it had been 12 years since I had been a main guy on the beat. And that's that's been fascinating, too. All right. So let's let's talk about it. Because I had you on the air when you, when you were stepping away from the Inquirer. And, uh, you know, it's it's sad to see guys from our era all step away. But you stepped away for a good reason. It, you know, the newspaper industry right now and the, the Inquirer in particular, trying to reduce the staff like everybody else and therefore reduce their payroll. And they offer buyouts. And you took a, a nice buyout, not knowing what where you were going to go at, at that point and uh and kind of a, like michael corleone in, in godfather three they lured you back in so how did that all whole thing transpire were you sitting out itching to get back in or did it just happen uh it's actually a pretty interesting story so i so i basically had a year of pay and nine months of health insurance and i knew i had to get back into the to the working world i didn't know exactly how i was going to do it and i wasn't dying to get back into the sports writing industry. I found something else that made me happy. I was going to do it. And I actually did take a job. I lived down near the Jersey Shore near Long Beach Island. And in the small town of Waretown, I took a job as a police dispatcher for six weeks. So really, I, 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 I liked the job. Uh, the cops I was working with were great. Uh, the pe- The other dispatchers were good. But the hours were... Uh, they wanted me to, I thought I was going to work some different shifts, uh, different times. And it turned out they wanted me to work entirely a 7 PM to 7 AM shift. And it was, I did it for like three weeks and it was hurting me big. (laughs) And in the meantime, I was still looking at things to see, you know, if anything came in, I was looking a lot like it, uh, to find, to see if there were like any sports information director type jobs in my, my area. Um, and those jobs have become where they mostly want people with master's degrees, um, you know, and I, I just wasn't in their eyes qualified to do it. I, I think I could do the job, but, but anyway, so 
after about six weeks of being a police dispatcher, I saw this job come up. Um, Kevin Manahan is the guy who does the hiring. I don't know if you know him at all. Um, I he, don't know. He, he covered the Giants. He, he was a longtime reporter in New York. Uh, we went to lunch one day. He lives actually uh, on the Jersey Shore as well, about 30 miles or yeah, about 35 miles north of me. We met for lunch. We kind of hit it off and he hired me in late August and I started, I, you know, I started as, like as the season was starting and it's been, you hit the ground running for sure when it, when that happens. Well, yeah, so you're back, you're back into the grind again. I am, and, yes, uh, so, I am. They have dragged me back in. I guess, you, what do you do? Take this now a day at a time to see how long you actually want to do it? Yeah, I mean, that's basically where I'm at. Yeah, I'd like to do it, do it for a while. Um, you know, there are some there are some things that I've talked to them about that I would like to do, but we'll see if it, it goes in that direction too. All right, Bob. Let, let's talk about. I mean, you, you got many years covering business. You have a, a million stories, but I, I like I, I like to know like some of the most fascinating people you covered over the years. Whew. Uh, let's see. You know, one of the stories I really want to do, and you, you, this is a name that wouldn't pop out to most people, but when I covered the Phillies early on in my career, I really had a good relationship with Terry Mulholland, uh, who, who is, as I've said to John Cruck a few times, wow, John, he's really a lefty because uh, he's a left-hander because. Yeah, he's not he's not the lefty, but he's definitely a lefty. And Terry Mahal now lives off the grid in the desert in Arizona. And one story I would like to do, and I've texted with him a few times, and he just doesn't want to do it. I would love to go out and do the story. <laughs> the last time he texted me, all he sent me was a picture of him, his cowboy boots up by the fire, um, enjoying life. So I would love to do that story at some point. Uh, and I, and he, was, he wasn't he was a character so much, but he was just such an interesting person in so many ways. So, I mean, this was a guy who he was, he was made the all-star team for the first time in his life, and he was trying to get out of it so he could take his son, six-year-old son fishing. I was like, Terry, take your six-year-old son to the all-star game. He's never going to forget this. It'll be, you can take him fishing another time. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's certainly one of them. Um, you know, you know this as well as I do because you covered him too. Lenny Dykstra was certainly a different sort of human being to cover, <laughs> uh, yeah, to say the least, <laughs> <laughs> and remains a different sort of human being. Um, Cruck was a lot of fun to cover. Uh, Schilling, as you know, um, as well, <laughs> yeah, is is different. You know, there there were more characters back then. Um, But I'll take you, let me take you to the present day um, in the Giants locker room. Because when you're a beat writer, you get more immersed than than when you're a columnist. You get more immersed in the people because you're digging more and you're around it even more. Um, And so the the first story I did after a game was on a guy named Chris Myrick. And I don't know if you know that name at all. He caught a touchdown against the Eagles last year. And he caught on opening day, he caught the touchdown that, got the Giants within a point, and then Brian Dable opted to go for two, and they win. The, they beat Tennessee by a point, and really kind of the moment that triggered this season for the Giants and built them built their confidence to, to get off to, a, I think it was a 6-1 and one start. But anyway, Chris Myrick caught the touchdown pass. He, I think he's got three catches all year. 
but he's a temple kid who's from Sheltonham. Um, so we started talking and he was, he was very interesting guy, great guy. And then the other guy in the, the Giants locker room who I've developed a very good relationship is a guy named Jihad Ward, who went to Bach High School, um, Philly kid. <laughs> Uh, the filthiest mouth you've ever heard. He's, he's incapable without uh, with, with uh, completing a sentence without an f bomb in it. Uh, and he's just a, a fascinating guy. Uh, says what he thinks. You know, doesn't hold anything back ever. Very much a character. Um, you know, and, and then I, I, you know, covering. You watch people from afar. Daniel Jones. When I went into this season, and this is not really fascinating characters, but. My opinion of Daniel Jones is, eh, you know, I don't think so. Probably not. Never going to happen. And I'm, I, I kind of think the Giants, Dable, and Joe Shane, the general manager, were leaning toward that side too. Um, and Daniel Jones has been nothing but spectacular this season. He, was, he played his best game yesterday. In his biggest game of his life, he played his best game. I mean, he had two two touchdown runs where guys were in front of him in the end zone, and he, like, looked at them and said, yeah, you think I'm sliding? I'm not. I'm going in your face. Um, his numbers are never great, but he's he's really played a, a terrific season um, and he's a real competitor. And Saquon Barkley, he's a Penn State guy, so I know you like him anyway. Uh, he uh, He's, for of all the superstars I've ever covered, uh, and he's certainly a superstar, he is the most accessible I've ever been around. Um, Bryce Harper falls in that category too, uh, of being pr- pretty much accessible and by his locker all the time. But Saquon, you know, doesn't shy away from anything. Um, you know, I think he's a really good te- teammate. I think, you know, this surprised me because the Giants didn't know if they were going to be going forward with Barkley and Daniel Jones when the season started. And now they're both 25 years old, I think. Now they are the foundation for what they're going to try to do going forward here, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it looks like Jones has won him over. Uh, you brought up Dykstra, so I have to share just a couple <laughs> of stories here. Um, I, I, when I was doing him, he was still playing for the Phillies. I was doing a magazine story on him. So he invites me over to his house, and he lived in Paoli. So uh, I get to how you guys come out uh, like about uh, 11 o'clock. So on 11 o'clock in the morning, I roll into his house, and I'm I'm interviewing him, and he's telling me the story about how he's really going to buckle down on his diet this year. Meanwhile, he's got people scurrying around his house. His wife is scurrying around. He's got this cook who's scurrying around. So at the very moment he's telling me he has to really uh, clamp down on his diet, the the cook brings over his breakfast, which was 10 strips of bacon and five sausage links. (laughs) And and, and (laughs) he's eating the sausage and bacon, smoking a cigarette with a glass of orange juice that was like a quarter full, and he's dipping the ashes in the orange juice with a cigarette. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're reforming your diet. So I get him on the air when uh, he co-hosted a couple times on the air. And I and I said, you got to tell me the story when you got into the fight with Rick Dempsey in the batter's box at Dodger Stadium. I said, what was that about? He said, I'll tell you what it was all about. Freaking Dempsey was yapping all game long. I turned to Dutch and I said, he says one word to me, I'm going to punch him. So he says, I get in the batter's box. The first pitch I know is a ball. It's called a strike. And I think it was Bruce Framing at the time. He goes, I step out. Now, mind you, I'm hitting 405 at the time. The scoreboard has Lenny Dykstra 405 up there on the big Dodger scoreboard. I step out and I go, yo, Bruce, can you read? 
And Fremming says to me, yeah, Lenny, I can read why. He goes, you see that scoreboard there? What's that scoreboard says? It says 4 fucking 5 And you know why? Because I know the motherfucking strike zone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he said, Dempsey stands up. He goes, get back in the box, goddammit, Lenny. He goes, that's all I needed to know. Boom, I started punching him in the back of the box. I mean, those characters don't exist anymore. No, and apparently, and I wasn't on that trip, but other writers have told me the story. So when they, they got into the clubhouse after the game, he said, man, my parents are coming to the game, and they weren't even here yet because he got kicked <laughs> out of the very first time the game. All right, so a quick couple of names I'll throw at you. Well, let, let me tell you one quick Lenny story, too. All right, go ahead. So, so he, was in, he was in the doghouse with Fergosi. We were in San Francisco, and he was hurt. And but he wasn't showing up on time for you know his training sessions. They're on the road. Uh, he, you know he, he he came in late for one. And Fergosi was really pissed at him. But he's not playing this day, and the team's all out on the field for pregame, and we we're still in the clubhouse. And then and the Giants had just signed um, Daryl Strawberry off off of his drug problems. And here's Lenny standing in there, and there's some powdered donuts in the in the clubhouse. And Lenny takes his powdered donut and rubs it in his face and says, you think part of Straw's uh, parole here is just staying away from me? <laughs> uh, he's so Lenny. <laughs> I mean, you're just walking around. The, I mean, you know this. You're walking around the clubhouse with a cigarette and a cup of coffee in, in his in his uh, just sliding pants, abusing the, the, the bat boys for not putting enough stickum on his bats. <laughs> oh, God. Classic. Uh, um, all right, so if I throw Fergosi at you, what's your thought? First thought um, that comes to your mind. I enjoyed covering him. I, I loved his nickname because it was the, the most fitting nickname. I mean, this is what John Vukovic loved Jim Fergosi, but he knew his he knew who he was, and his nickname was Ego. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, yeah, like he invented the game. His could, yeah, Ego, like, was, every question annoyed him because it was like, yes, yeah, you know, you're so beneath me. You know, <laughs> one of those deals, right? And somehow, I I think he 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 understood. He knew he knew who he was. Too. I mean, yeah. he was he was uh, self aware, but still wasn't going to let you um, get anything, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, he had to have control. He had right. Have he, control. Had, he had to have control. But he, I think he once said to – he was once mad at the Rangers writer for writing he'd made an error on a routine play when he was at, toward the end of his career. And he, the, the writer was Jim Reeves. And he said to Jim Reeves, um, I can't believe you wrote that. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, that was a routine play. because. None of them are routine for me anymore. <laughs> All right, Andy Reid. Andy Reid, um, uh, to me, he's still the greatest coach in Eagles history. Um, never gave you much, but uh, uh, you know, I, you know, I would love to. It's never going to happen, but I would love to know how what has happened with his boys affected him in his whole life. How you know what he thinks about that. Um, because in some ways, I, I find him that part of his story to be just really tragic, um, and I don't know how many people would be able to continue on the way he has, given what has happened in his personal life. But he seems to separate them um, for better or worse. But that's you know I can't think about Andy Reid without thinking about the tragic part of his personal life. 
Bob, listen, it was a pleasure. Thanks for uh, joining us. Really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, you know, I may call on you again if uh, somehow the Eagles and Giants meet here <laughs> in the playoffs. I don't know how that's going to happen. We're laughing leaving yesterday saying, yeah, the, this, this, the number six seed uh, Giants will be back here at MetLife hosting the number seven seed Packers. So. Yeah, well, we'll see. The Giants have to beat the so, 49ers. Yeah, that's going to be tough for them to go out there and win that game. Uh, Bob, all the best. Thanks a lot. Glad you're back in the business, man. All right. Thanks, Mike. Uh, let's go around the NFL and look at some things that have happened. We do this every Monday where I go over uh, five things that st- stood out to me on the weekend of NFL football. Uh, so, number one, let me get this right, uh, right out of the way soon. Um, Carson Wentz blows, okay? Uh, the audacity of the Washington commanders to think that that all of a sudden this fool was going to create – magic and take the team through the playoffs because they put him back in there. He, he, he played for Heineke two weeks ago. He looked okay. Then he go, Oh, Wentz is researching. Let's, let's bring him back. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it went on Sunday, 16 for 28 for 143 yards. <laughs> Commanders lose to the Browns. By the way, the other quarterback stinks too. What a contract boy. They wasted. Uh, Deshaun Watson throws for 169 yards. So in like nine for whatever. Um, they're, they're currently out of the playoffs, the commanders. Thank you, Carson. You stink. All right. Number two, the Bucks are suddenly alive. They look like we're dead. Put them out of their misery. It's like the horse that you have to take out the pasture. Uh, the Carolinas uh, Panthers blew a double-digit fourth-quarter lead to lose that game to the Bucks. The Bucks clinched the division, the four seed. They win 30-24. to 24. Brady, 432 yards. Touchdowns to Mike Evans, 63, 57, and 30. And I didn't really realize this, but these are Hall of Fame numbers. Mike Evans is the first NFL receiver in history to have his first nine seasons of 1,000 yards or more receiving. That's pretty lofty. I didn't realize that, but that's pretty lofty. So now, is, is Brady a threat all of a sudden in the NFL playoffs? Who knows? Number three, the Dolphins are fading. Oof. Fifth straight loss. They got all kinds of quarterback uh, problems. They lost the lost their backup quarterback because they had Teddy Bridgewater. Now, this is really interesting. Teddy Bridgewater gets, gets hurt brushing his teeth these days. Um, he hurt a, a finger, apparently trying to make a tackle after an interception. Now, I, I think back, do you remember a couple years ago? Darren, I'll bring you in for this, producer Darren. Remember when he olayed in a similar situation when playing for the Broncos when he threw an interception? I do. I do. Right. And, and you're right. He does get hurt brushing his teeth. Like yeah. So game. in that situation, he got ripped for olaying. Well, listen, you have to play the game, all right? You can't not make a tackle because you're going to be afraid to hurt your fingers. Well, in this particular case, he hurts his finger. He's out of the game. Uh, and and they, they bring in – who was their third string quarterback? In Miami, I yes, yeah. Who who came in that game? I don't even know who came in that game, but they're they're Doesn't in matter. a heap of trouble. Uh, now they're still likely to get in the playoffs because all they have to do is beat the Jets, and the Jets are kind of giving it up anywhere. And Buffalo has to beat New England, so if Miami wins next week, beat the Jets, which they probably will because uh, it's home, and Buffalo uh, has to beat New England, and Buffalo probably will because they still have to win. Uh, so Miami, despite their collapse, probably going to get in the playoffs. Number By four. By the way, I think you were going to ask me, right? 
it, was that on his mind? Was the Ole on his mind when he tried to make the tackle? Probably because he got panned for it. Exactly right. Was that against the Eagles he did that? It might have been against the Eagles that he did that. But anyway, in any event, he made the tackle and and he got hurt and, you know, so whatever. Uh, All right, number four. Uh, The Giants mashed the Colts 38 to 10. Now, this is for the Folesian Society in Philadelphia that has has grown in numbers for reasons that are unclear to me. Um, He stinks. All right. He's done. He's finished. He caught lightning in a bottle. He did a great job for Philadelphia Eagles. They won the Super Bowl. For you people to make him like this god of quarterbacks, I just want to tell you you're misguided. And the Folsian Society now should break up for good. All right. Uh, so bad he got yanked in this game in favor of Sam Ellinger. This cult situation is a freaking mess. All right. And I don't know who can fix it with that owner, that eccentric owner. Jeff Saturday, uh, well, we won't see him no more. All right, num- number five, the Packers beat the Vikings 41-17. to Now, the Packs had had a 1-7 stretch. And by the time they got to the Eagles, we're saying, you know, they, they lost that game to the Eagles. They're going to have to win every game from this point on. Well, they're pretty, coming pretty close to accomplishing that. Uh, they can make now the playoffs if they beat the Lions at home next week. Uh now, I'll tell you right now, that's my play of the week. I, I'll, I'll, in this situation, I will take the Packers. The line right now is four and a half, and it's going to go up. Get it right now. The Packers are minus four and a half. The Lions are about to hit a wall in Lambeau. So the Packers are going to get in. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was a point where you never thought that they were going to get in. And, and, and we're talking about moving on from uh, – for Aaron Rodgers to to Jordan Love, and, and now here comes the the, the quarterback to, to the rescue. All right, so that is around the NFL for today. Um, all right, so Darren, uh, let's let me bring you in as we conclude this podcast today. We may want to make it all football today. Uh, you know, I don't I don't I don't want to take the focus away from Eagle fans and in analyzing what happened yesterday. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be uh, I'm not gonna have any uh, frivolity. In, in this podcast they normally we have some fun we kick around we do some you know some crazy thoughts that we do three questions for mikey miss i could do that today i'm dead freaking serious today in this podcast that what happened yesterday i haven't been all year because they they've charmed me all year right I, I haven't needed to go off on the eagles and yesterday just uh i i, I couldn't believe what i saw yesterday it was so, complete, uh, let, let me ask you your opinion darren uh, i haven't asked yeah. your your opinion on what you saw yesterday I, I saw a complete coaching loss. The game plan was horrible offensively. Uh, they never wavered from it. Yeah, they ran the ball a little bit more in the second half. But listen, regardless of what your game plan is when you come into a game, when you have a quarterback like Minshew who, who is incapable of going through his progression, he locks on to receivers and he, he backpedals. When you see quarterbacks backpedaling, that's a really, really, that's a bad sign. He, he locks in, he backpedals, help him out. Give the guy some help. You've got a thousand yard running. You got a pro bowl running back. I don't care that he's got a brace on his knee. Give him the ball. It was, it was coaching malfeasance yesterday. It was awful. Coaching malfeasance. I like it. Yeah, malfeasance. It was, just, it was bad. Which is a little, that's a little better than malpractice. Malfeasance. Malfeasance. Yeah. Well, I'll tell, uh, and the other thing I, I'll tell you that scares me a little bit. Is I didn't think that this team 
had that game in them. That makes me nervous. I did not see that game in this team at all coming down the pipe. Same. And that's what's so startling about it. But again, they go as far as, as um, Jalen Hurts goes. And I learned that more yesterday than, than anything. All right. Uh, I do have a parting uh, shot. It is connected to me watching football. And it's two. It's actually two commercials that I saw during the Eagles game. Or, or during football somewhere. I mean, I don't wear red or whatever it was. Um, and it's annoying me, these commercials. Uh, one is the commercial where the the woman, the attractive couple, uh, the woman gives the guy a puppy. Um, it's a like a Burmese mountain dog puppy, and it's tra- trudging through the snow, and he picks it up, and uh, and then... She says, now, well, now it's time for your gift. And out of the wilderness, plowing through the snow is this big, badass GMC SUV crunching through the snow. And my question is, in what world is a woman giving a guy a truck when he gets a puppy? I can assure you that I've never had a relationship where somebody's going to give me a badass SUV trudging through the snow, mind you. Now, she also had to hire a driver. And that driver now is going to have to take an Uber home. Right? The guy gets, the guy gets a, a puppy. She, she, she gets, buys the, the SUV. I go, man, that's a fortunate guy. What does she do for a living? All right, now here's the other commercial, my parting shot. It makes me uncomfortable, actually. People go visit their parents, younger, younger people. The wind blows. And somehow a red ribbon flies and attaches to the top of the car, their SUV. The parents come out and think that the kids, the son, is giving the older parents an SUV. And they go, okay, well, now I must give him the SUV? Like, you can't. No, no, no. no. Hold, oh, hold, Pop, listen, I love you, but that's, that's our SUV. Like, that's not. That's not for you. I can't afford to give you, you an SUV. It's bugging me, Darren. Those commercials bug me. My biggest problem with the first commercial that you mentioned, the GMC one, is uh-huh. they clearly don't know how to whistle. And that bothers <laughs> me. Like You're not making the right formation with your hand and mouth to whistle. Because I can do that. And they don't know how to do that. By the way, that truck, because I just almost bought that truck. I just priced uh-huh. that out. You know how much that pickup truck is? $94,000. Yeah, nice. Here's a dog. I can assure you. Here's your yeah. $94,000 truck. Yeah. I got a sweater, a nice sweater. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Come on. In what world are we talking about here? All right. That's the party. That's the party show. So we, we end with a little laughter. All right? Uh, okay. Let's let's close it down. And uh, uh, you can reach me uh, if you have an email. And if you want to you talk about anything that I got hot about today, just email me, mike at mikemiss.com, and, and you can go to my website also, which is mikemiss.com. I got a lot of ventures going on right now. I got a children's book out there that you might find that you like for your young children. You can read it to young children, or it's for children that are just learning to read. It's called The Adventures of Shima the Sheba. You can go to my website and actually order the book, or you can go to amazon.com and order the book, or you can go to uh, barnesandnoble.com, anywhere you get your book. And uh, 20% uh, of all proceeds are going to animal shelters 
So I wanted to do something because they do such great work at animal shelters. Uh, also, I am now part of a winery, which I'm proud to announce. It's called Natalie Vineyards, and that's in Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. I know it's wintertime, but you still get a nice day trip. We've got a nice, uh, cozy little wine tasting room. So uh, get down there, and you can order some wine online at natalievineyards.com. That's N A T. A-L-I-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D-S dot com. You can see all the wines that we have. If you like red, we have some really good reds. Uh, my personal favorite is Nana Cellar that we produce, which is a nice red table wine. Uh, and uh, also, if you like rosé, we have a semi-sweet rosé that you might like. Uh, and uh, again, ask for the, if you can order it online as well and, and ask for the Mike Miss and Ellie special, you can put in Mike Miss as a code. You get 30% off six bottles. So I'd, I'd love for you to sample the wine and uh, let me know uh, how you feel about it. Uh, also, uh, you can uh, – uh, what else? What else do I have going? Did I forget anything? I think it's about it. Oh, the, the, the post-game show that we do, uh, Jacob Media post-game show, we'll be back. We, we had been doing it remote the last couple of weeks because it was Christmas Eve and New Year's Day. We'll be back live and next week to do the show as we close out the regular season on where the season is going to go. I think that's about it. All right. Is that it, D? You got anything left? Uh, speaking of wine, uh, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. got together with some neighbors. And mm-hmm. my, my neighbor, Mike, great guy, brought a bottle of the James Harden wine. Yeah. I'm here to tell you it is complete slop. Really? It was like grape juice. It was oh, no. just way too right. sweet. Just, well, hopefully I you don't really feel sweet. that way about the Italian wine I'm going to yeah. give you when I see it next. Um, <laughs> All right, which could be, which could be February at I this know. point. I'll get I'll get over there this week. Uh, all right, uh, everybody have a great uh, start to the new year. Um, t- you know, let this roll off your back because they're probably going to win next Sunday, and we'll forget all about this egg that they laid uh, on Sunday. So everybody have a great rest of the week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Mussinelli podcast, and don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app. Bet Rivers app is fantastic. I've been I've been using it a lot lately. I tell you, I am on a streak. I am on a big-time streak, ladies and gentlemen. And, in fact, I made an outright bet on TCU on Saturday. Outright! And they took care of business. All right? Download the Bet Rivers app. It's really easy, and you get all kinds of bets. You can do live betting when the game's going on. A lot of futures. You can play casino games. It's fantastic. Get it on your phone uh, and uh, make it easy for yourself. All right? Everybody have a great rest of the week. This has been the Mike Missinelli Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you in a few days. Bye-bye.